Hello and welcome to Humans Beyond Resources, an HR podcast by Reverb where we cover topics from culture to compliance. Reverb believes that every decision a leader makes reverberates throughout the organization, from hiring your first employee to training your entire workforce. We believe in building healthy, inclusive cultures that engage your team. I'm your host, Sarah Wilkins. Welcome to our latest episode of Humans Beyond Resources. Today, Jess Ewan, advisor and executive coach and former chief people officer at Gusto and Couchbase, is joining me to talk about how to achieve an impactful CEO and chief people officer relationship and what to do if it's not working. Jess recently wrote an article on the topic, which I really enjoyed, Um, and so we've asked her on just to break it down and talk more with us about it and share some examples that we think could be beneficial to you all. Thanks for joining, Jess. I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks, Sarah. I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to chat more about this topic. Uh, So first, I just would love for you to share a little bit more about you and your work with CEOs and CPOs and why, um, you know, why you're so interested in, um, in this topic. Yeah, well, um, it is a topic close to my heart. And nowadays, my, I, I have my own business that is focused on executive coaching and advising leaders, largely in the the VC backed uh, company space. And so I'm working with a lot of CPOs and CEOs and seeing this relationship up close. Um, My background might be a little bit atypical for the average people leader uh, in that I I studied electrical engineering in school and then spent the first decade of my career in business. And so I started at McKinsey and management consulting and then did product management um, at Yahoo and then uh, worked as a chief of staff in my first startup. And so I was serving the CEO there. And then I led um, international growth and strategy. And then I became an operator as a chief people officer, um, as you mentioned, at Gusto and Couchbase. And so um, I've been able to see this relationship both on the operating side as the chief people officer and an executive on the leadership team observing it. And now as a coach to both of these roles, Um, And figuring out how to navigate this relationship. It's a really tricky one. Yeah. And we don't want to miss one of your other very important jobs, um, I think, as well, Uh, being near and dear to my heart as a working, um, you know, mom of one six year old. I would love for you to share. Yeah. Your other important job. (laughs) Yeah. My other important job um, is 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 hugging and loving and helping grow to small humans and to much larger humans one day. Um, but I have a four-year-old and an almost six-year-old um, who's very much looking forward to her birthday party. So, um, you know, I've been putting on a party planning hat recently too. <laughs> yeah, the the many hats of a working parent. Um, Absolutely. That's great. Thank you for sharing. So I kind of want to dive in now to the topic and ask you, you know, from your perspective and your experience, um, both your experience, but also your experience coaching, you know, leaders in this space, what have you found to be the, you know, the characteristics of a successful relationship? Yeah. So there's four characteristics that I think are really um, important and I'll touch on here. And uh, it's about being closely aligned, being complementary, 
um, having a strategic thought partnership and being candid and honest with each other um, and reflecting that back. And I'll dive into each one, but um, first, I think it's important to sort of step back and understand just how tough each role is. And, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes the CEO role is called the loneliest job in the C-suite or in the, in the entire company because you're dealing with a lot of things and having to compartmentalize often of what you can share and when you can share it and who you can share it with. And you're thinking about things that pretty much no one else in the organization is. And the next loneliest job is often awarded to the chief people officer because there's similarities in what you have to compartmentalize and thinking through things and dynamics that um, no one else in the organization is. So the first off, they're both in these like super lonely roles and trying to navigate that can be challenging because the chief people officer is here to the rest of the executive team, yet at the same time is the advisor to the CEO often has a um, you know, a heavier uh, weighted input into the performance of their peers. And so the, the immediate like structure that you're put into as a chief people officer includes difficult dynamics that you're navigating to balance those. Um, and so I think the third thing that makes it a challenging role is that uh, the scope of the chief people officer role is, is, is often not extremely well understood by others, including the CEO. And so um, just having clarity about what is owned and isn't owned and what each of those pieces means uh, is, is oftentimes a source for some of the friction or challenge that comes in the, in the relationship. Yeah. And so that's why with those four elements I mentioned of being closely aligned, complementary, strategic thought partnership, and candid and honest mirror, like those are the pieces that kind of fall out of the fact that you have this really interesting set of roles that are coming together to lead the organization, both on the business side, as well as being supported with cultural and organizational impact as well. So the first one about being closely aligned is not about them agreeing to everything. The CEO and CPO will not agree to everything. And that actually is a successful relationship when they are um, kind of helping to push each other. And, and But it is really much about more about, are we on the same page? And if we are not, which is fine if we're not, do we understand why? Do we understand what is the cause of these different perspectives or the misunderstanding? And so I often talk about um, approaching relationships with curiosity instead of the first thing being like, that's a crazy idea. Why are you bringing up this idea? Um, instead, it's, huh, you know, I haven't thought about that before. Tell me more about like what prompted that or tr what triggered that for you. Um, so that's an example of, of that close alignment and getting closer is coming at, at it with curiosity to get closer. And many times it might be educating too on both sides. Um, one great example I had was um, there was a early stage founder I was working with and his people team was recruiting and it was taking them three months on average to place somebody in role. And he comes to me and he's like, I'm so frustrated with my recruiting team. I can't believe how slow they are. What's going on here? This is ridiculous. And then he kind of pauses and has the curious moment is like, what have you seen as being, you know, normal or average here? And I was like, well, I mean, first, before we get there, what's your expectation? Like, what do you, three months is slow. What's your expectation and where's that base? And he talks about, oh, 
one month because when I was placing the last role myself, I was able to get somebody in within a month. So that's my expectation, what this team should do. And I was like, huh, wow, like that's really impressive. And oh, by the way, the industry average is three months. So your team's actually doing a pretty good job right now by all industry average standards. And immediately I saw him flip to a 180 and, and it was kind of like, oh, that's normal. Like that's, huh. And you could see him going from this mindset of being, I'm about to reprimand my team for being too slow to, oh, like I don't need to do anything. They've got it under control and they're doing it the way they should be. And he he came out of it like in a totally different perspective. So that's what I mean about close alignment. Yeah, I love how you pointed that curiosity out and approaching it with the curiosity, especially maybe when you aren't aligned on something. I think yeah. as you pointed out, you can get into something and maybe create a story in your head about what they're, what should be happening or what they've done or that, but approaching the relationship or any situation like that with curiosity allows you to go in with an open mind without creating that story, right? Absolutely. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to get around with the curiosity is instead of jumping to conclusions is let's make sure we understand what assumptions that we're making and see, are they actually checking out? So I think that close alignment is so important. And the the second element is around that complementary skill set. So it's complementary. Sometimes this is complementary styles, complementary attitudes, complementary experiences. Um, But it's really do the interests and skills fit together. And one of the terms that I bring up in the article is around being a front-end people leader, a back-end people leader, or full stack. And so in engineering, these are common terms. Um, with certain meanings. And and my version of it in the people space is that, you know, front end leader is really one that's outward facing to a lot more communication to the organization is the person who's sort of the face of the culture and and face of what we think of organizationally attached to that. Back end leader is one who's who's really adept at um, making sure that the infrastructure needed for the organization and for the culture and people programs is really... um, tip top and operationally um, you know, rigorous and analytical and all of those wonderful pieces come together. And full stack is somebody who can straddle both of those. Mm-hmm. And you know, at Gusto was a great example, like with the CEO, this was a, a CEO, very, Josh was very invested in culture. He wanted to be the face. And so I was playing more of a full stack, even some cases back end piece to support him. And we wanted that for the organization because it made sense from a business standpoint. And and that's what helped with our ability to work closely together is to understand those roles and where we fit together. Yeah. When I was reading that part of the article, I really liked you pointing that out because I think sometimes we think that the leader has to be full stack and front and back end, but in reality, deciding and aligning back to aligning with the CEO on what role they want to play and what role is best for you and and being together and, and working together will make that really successful. Absolutely. And so much of leadership is what are my expectations and have I communicated them? And then the other person can actually respond and interact with it. And so much of this is done implicitly. We sort of figure out how we're working together, but we haven't had a chance to sort of pull that out. And so having language around it, like, you know, this full stack 
front end, back end. I find many of my clients have technical backgrounds on the mm -hmm. CEO side. And so this speaks to them a lot more easily than some of the other languages that I've tried in the past to explain it. Yeah, um, I think that's great. Yeah. The third element of a impactful relationship I find is um, being strategic thought partners. And, and here really the question that I think about is, are we stretching each other to think a few steps ahead and to think around the corners and the blind spots? And um, the recent um, you know, SVP situation uh, was really, I saw many of my clients jumping into action in this way where even though it's you're thinking, oh, crazy crisis mode, reactive, how can that be strategic? Many of them were going, okay, well, there's immediate implications, like how do we run payroll and pay mm -hmm. our individuals right this second, but also thinking through the secondary and tertiary issues and, and uh, consequences of if this, then that. And so they were looking at, okay, well, how do we make sure that we have um, additional bank accounts that we'd be able to leverage in the future? How are we thinking through customer implications of this? How are we thinking through updating different levels of communication across the board, not only on what's happening right now, but how we're thinking about the midterm and the long-term. And I saw in, in many cases, leaders um, coming up and and brainstorming together and thinking through how do we make sure that we are coming at this strategically and not just reacting to the immediate, mm -hmm. but really surveying the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and and that's exactly what you do in these situations is you're trying to think through not just what's obviously in front of you and what you obviously need to protect and do go on the defense for or the offense, but also thinking through, okay, beyond right now, how do we think through and some of the greatest stories of wartime, like, you know, the, the armies that didn't anticipate winter coming and ran out of resources and didn't, you know, equip their troops is exactly the type of thing that comes with being strategic is thinking a little bit further out and some of those additional uh, ramifications. Yeah. And I like the recent example you shared, right, of the Silicon Valley Bank and how um, people came together with that. And I think some people think maybe people leaders weren't really affected or a part of that. But in reality, there was the implication of payroll and then also how we're communicating with our, you know, teams around what's going to happen and that kind of thing. So it's, you know, broader than the reactionary, like how you pointed that out and how it was a full kind of leadership team kind of working together on the, the strategy around that yeah and the last um the last component around an impactful relationship I think um sort of dovetails on being closely aligned and having complementary um skills and experiences and this strategic thought partner but it's um it's rounding it out with being candid and honest with each other and really the people leaders oftentimes serving as a mirror and the the reflection that I, I encourage here is around, are the words we're using as CEO um, oftentimes consistent with what our team is comprehending and experiencing, right? So the intentions of the CEO are wonderful and they're building this, painting this wonderful picture of what the vision is. They're um, talking about potentially the cultural values or you know, what we're most excited about or how we're getting through the next stretch. And the hope is that people are understanding what's happening. But just like the classic game of telephone that we played as kids and you, you go around a circle, you sit next to each other and someone puts a message and 
whispers it into someone's ear and then that person whispers it to somebody else and so on and so forth. And at the end of the line, you hear the message and you're like, oh, that's pretty different than what we put in. It's oftentimes like that in a company where the CEO is putting out this wonderful, cohesive, coherent message or so they think. And then what the people leader is hearing from others in the organization is different versions of the telephone um, communication. And they come back and are reflecting it. And sometimes what's interesting is the solution's not necessarily, hey, you know, there could be two solutions, really. One option is, oh, we need to re-communicate. Um, re what we need to put out there. And I often will say seven times in seven ways, like you're going to assume that it's going to take different mediums and different um, repetitive versions of this message to really get through to all the different audiences in an organization. But sometimes there's a moment with organizations where you go, huh, like how this message is being interpreted is totally different than what I anticipated. And, and maybe we should change. And, and those are moments where you'll see companies sort of, if they're doing like a, a refresh on their values, mm -hmm. that might be some of those things like, oh, we talk about humility all the time. Do we? Like, are we actually, are our leaders actually humble and have humility right now? Hmm. You know, half our exec team, not really in our, you know, and whole surveys, we're seeing people getting a little bit like um, it's causing some tension because they're hoping for humbleness and they're not getting it. So mm -hmm. like you'll look for data points and indicators and it's our job as people leaders to bring that to the CEO and say, hey, I know you love this value. And as your mirror, your reflection, I'm saying it's not showing up in the behaviors and actions right now. So we have a choice. We can change what our value is to capture what we're doing now, or we can talk about how this is an aspirational value and we still have work to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's the type of mirroring that I'm talking about. It's not like the miming mirror, <laughs> where you're, yeah. um, you know, following exactly what they what they're telling you to do. Yeah, just being able to be candid and you know call out things maybe that you see differently or that are coming across differently to the people versus what the leaders or the leader thinks. Exactly, yeah. and it's so hard for the CEO to get that type of candidness, especially as the organization grows. And so mm -hmm. um, it becomes that much more important that the people leader feels comfortable and can surface those things in a in an effective manner. And I think that's the trickiest part because, um, you know, sometimes it's tough. I heard a people leader go into the, to a new organization recently and the culture wasn't what, it wasn't that close to what it was on paper. And, and the way she phrased it was amazing. It was like, um, it's really hard to tell someone their baby is ugly, you know, and yeah. for a founder CEO in particular, that, that can be a really tough message to deliver. So it's important that all those aspects are there in the relationship. So you can, as a people leader, do that, right? Um, having a strong relationship, which brings me to, you know, there's elements that make it a not so good relationship. And, you know, what are some red flags that you would see in the relationship and maybe you know we'll get to also like how what to do if it's not working and once we see those red flags yeah so i i'd say um this is one of the most important things is to understand like if i see some of these red flags it doesn't mean like oh my gosh everything's hopeless like there's still 
<laughs> things to turn around. So we absolutely should talk about what to do if you're seeing any of these flags. But the first one is around um, what I call being out of sight and out of mind. And this is where the CEO might be canceling or postponing one-on-ones with the chief people officer. Um, and for me, it's, you know, this person, this chief people officer is in charge of the well-being at your organization, the well-being of your organizational health, the um, the connection between your business strategy and the productivity and engagement of your workforce, amongst so many other things. And I think it's becoming more and more obvious as uh, we've been through the pandemic and we've been through um, you know, social justice and all these these really um, uh, incredible crises that have, have tested us. But uh, if you're not giving time to your people leader, if a CEO is not able to give time to your people leader or you're a people leader and your CEO keeps canceling or postponing, there could be a, oh my gosh, they trust each other so much that they don't need the time and they'll be fine. But if you're continuously seeing this happening and you're not seeing that we're closely aligned, we're not becoming strategic thought partners for each other, we're not reflecting back as candid and honest mirrors, like then you start to go, hmm, you know, something's up here. I'm not sure if you know, I need to be asking for more time at this point. And so I would be thinking about what are the blockers around it? And it doesn't have to be, we have to have real-time interactions. Maybe it's async, but if you're sending, if they say, oh, great, let's, and I've seen this happen where they're like, oh, no time for one-on-ones in real time, but send me messages via Slack. Let's do this async. And so the people leader sending messages via Slack and then the CEO is not responding because they have so many Slack messages, they never get to it. And so rather than being like, I can't believe you're ignoring me, I, you know, what's going on? Why are you deprioritizing me? Instead, it could be an empathetic response around, I realize you've got so many things on your plate. One, help me understand how are you prioritizing? But two, for things that feel like really big priorities for me or blockers, you know, we've tried a few things. What's the next thing we can try? And so coming at it from a like, let's get into problem solving mode and how do we stay on the same side of the table? Yeah. And I hear curiosity as well, right? Like we've tried these things. What would work for you? You know, like let's problem solve this and let's be curious about going into it that it's not a, um, they're just ignoring me or, you know, they don't want to make the time for me, but like taking the curious approach back to that, I think is absolutely. And coming back to like, what are the assumptions I'm making and how can I sort of reframe it or shift it so that it can be come from a more problem solving space, as opposed to a judgment, um, judgment space which yeah. I think, you know, many of us have grown up in a judgment space. And so it's very natural to be judging that, you know, they're exactly. ignoring me, natural conclusion, they don't care about me or they're deprioritizing me. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a muscle that many leaders are building as they're in this, um, this these roles. Um, the second sort of flag that I would look out for are what I call swoop and poop interactions. And when I wrote the article, this was like the favorite phrase that came out. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I stole this. I can't, I can't take credit for it. But um, when I was at Gusto, uh, our, our marketing leader, Jale Rizai, had, had come up with this to describe what our, our CEO would periodically do. And it's ironic because she's now a CEO herself. So she's, she understands it well. But um, swoop and poop interactions are when, you know, the CEO might ask the people leader to make a decision at it might be, you know, let's, how are we running performance reviews or what's the communication um, 
agenda for, uh, you know, an upcoming riff or whatever it might be. But then at the 11th hour, has a change of heart, change of mind and swoops in with a strong different opinion and then says, oh, you know, I know we said X, now we're doing Y and there's a ton of rework to do. And so I think this is one that many of us have felt, um, which is this sort of last minute, like, it's fine if you want to change your mind, but could you give me a little bit more time or give our team a bit more time so we're not pulling an all-nighter or, or having to work through the weekend? And so the thing that I really encourage, if if you are somebody who's experiencing a lot of swoop and poops or someone giving a lot of swoop and poops is, you know, how can we schedule those swoops? So there's periodic input on what's happening and the ability to change minds, but you know, at least there's time to sort of seed the idea earlier, let it percolate, and hopefully those conclusions or change of minds will come out earlier in the process. And then I would say with the poops is be very particular about your poops, right? Like sometimes they are necessary and, and we might need to really left turn hard in a, in a project, but we don't want to do it every single time and recognizing mm -hmm. the amount of effort versus impact and, and uh, that that's involved in if I poop on this, yes, I get I get people to do things my way, but is it worth the trade-off? And is it going to be that much different otherwise? So be particular about your poops and schedule your swoops is what I what I'd encourage. Um, and then the third flag is around left out or left behind communications. And so um, if you as a CEO are finding that you're communicating with the rest of your team, but you're you're telling your CPO later or the inverse, you're a CPO and you're you're kind of finding out things, for example, you know, if, um, if your CEO decided uh, to shift from a hybrid to a fully remote environment um, and they inform, you know, the CFO and the COO because they see direct implications, but then they sort of casually mention, oh, we've been talking about this and we decided and oh, people leader, by the way, can you just execute? Like that kind of like left behind communication is something that, that I worry about, um, and it's not just for people related decisions. It's if there's a major strategy shift, at what point are you bringing in the people leader and is it early enough? Um, I used to be uh, more focused on, on running. Um, when I first started my business, I did people strategy. And so I'd go into an organization and essentially come up with their strategic plan for near term, midterm and long term. Mm -hmm. And I would always start the conversation with what's your business strategy? Because you can't have a people strategy without a business strategy. And um, so many times, one, either they couldn't really articulate it, or two, they were kind of like looking at me perplexed, like, why do you need to know that? And so that part of it is it comes back to educating the other of, if I know this sooner, here's all the things that I can then plan for and support and help to pivot faster mm -hmm. because I'm brought into the loop. But you know, I, I think traditional traditional HR and the old school way of looking at it was HR was there more reactive and to take orders. And so we are still in this transition period with leaders who've been in the field for longer around helping to educate them on the value of that HR can bring sooner um, if we're if we're able to. And so part of it's us asking for it as people mm -hmm. leaders, but also part of it is making sure that our CEOs are aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you pointed that out. And then the last red flag I would look for is what I I deem I kind of call ruptured values. And so this is when there's fundamental disagreement, our core issues of what we believe what matters or what we are optimizing for. Um, and, and you know, it's 
I would say there's a version of ruptured values where you start to see it crack a little bit. And you're like, hmm, these, you know, we're sort of not seeing things eye to eye. And I was just talking to a CEO uh, yesterday who was telling me, um, you know, here uh, with leadership, we uh, really believe in, in being strategic and proactive. And we're trying to make sure that we're seeing all the things that are going on. And uh, it was re related to the Silicon Valley Bank situation. And um, he pointed out there was one executive on his team who kind of looked at all the implications within his area, but then also thought about all these other implications company-wide. Another leader came to the table, um, actually didn't come to the table as a fully remote organization, but um, they, they just said, hey, let me know if you need anything, I'm here if you need me. And it was just this really interesting difference of leadership values of when is it that we're looking for a proactive leader to jump in and sort of be the general in the midst of it? And when is it that, you know, leadership is more, hey, come to me if you need something and understanding those elements. And so you start to see small cracks in it, but then, you know, a situation like SVB as this client's uh, encountered, that's one where you really start to see, oof, this might be a lot bigger of a ruptured value than what we think of in leadership um, mm -hmm. than we might've originally originally thought. Um, and a few years ago, I I'd, um, talked to Beth Steinberg, who's uh, a wonderful people leader and has been at many, many companies, including Facebook and Sunrun. And she's currently at Chime as their chief people officer. And she had said, you know, when, when your values are fundamentally disagreeing on, on things at a, a values level, there are just sometimes where you just have to choose to put your badge on the table and walk away. And so if you're finding that, you know, we've been trying, we've been trying to align, we've been curious, we've done all these things, and yet we're just at opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, then it's, that, that is sort of the last thing to, to do on that is, you know, maybe we need to part ways. And so I think to summarize the like, if it's not working, what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. I think the you know, let's dedicate time piece of it is really important and finding the rhythm with your CEO and what medium works for them and how to get a hold of them. And um, Devon Su, who uh, was formerly at Stitch Fix and currently at Citro as, as uh, their people leader, he does a monthly dinner with his, his CEO where they sit down. So this is in addition to their regular interactions with the leadership mm -hmm. team and one-on-ones and whatnot, but it's a monthly dinner and they get all sorts of pieces done um, outside of their regular. I know some CPOs are really into like, I'm actually in a really good texting rhythm with my CEO and I can catch them and, and that's the thing that they'll respond to. So figure out how do you get the time and sometimes it's a creative version of it. Mm -hmm. um, the second we've touched on a few times is that if it's not working, get curious. You know, sometimes uh, you'll hear your CEO say crazy things or vice versa. And rather than jumping to judging of like, ah, it's ridiculous. Why in the world would we do it? Um, you know, just get curious and dive in. Mm -hmm. um, and then third is asking for what you need. So I think sometimes uh, we have a lot of thoughts going through our head and we forget to rearticulate it back out to the other person. And in the CEO CPO relationship, there's so many things going on. But I think distilling it down and, and reflecting and taking the time to say, okay, I have like 10 million thoughts, but what I really need from the other party is more time on the calendar. Or what I really need from the other party is I need to be able to get through three items before they jump in with theirs. Um, 
make sure that you can be direct about that. And I talk about um, this idea of having a left-hand column. And when I was at Gusto on our leadership team, we often would say, what's in your left-hand column right now? And it's sort of when you uh, read old school books, right? Like in school, if you needed to take notes of, you know, what's going on in this part of the story, or that was a crazy comment, or I don't understand. That was what we were trying to pull out. And so think about how to unfilter just a little bit what's going on in your head and getting that out to the other person. So I think those three things of dedicating time, getting curious and asking for what you need are really important to do if it's not working. And then if you reach like DEFCOM level five, then, then it's a, you know, put your badge on the table. Yeah, these are really helpful. Um, and you've shared so much. And I'm curious if there's any final parting thought that you'd want to leave um, just to to wrap up. Yeah, um, I know we've covered a lot of ground. I think what I would, would plus one for this relationship between the CEO and CPO, but for really any relationship as well is how can you come at um, challenges from the same side of the table and really engage with curiosity and empathy first before jumping to any assumptions or jumping to conclusions because oftentimes there's some context that's missing um and one uh one thing that I always uh, kind of think about is uh the game this my kids actually play this game where they'll like to clap out a, a song and then have me guess and I find it like the hardest game because they'll just <laughs> clap something random and then I'm I'm left being like, hmm, you know, and you're like they are looking at me expectantly, and I'm like, ah. Um, and and I think that's the thing is like they have a song playing in their head with all the instruments and the words, and it makes complete sense and it's so obvious. And the person on the other side is just like, I just heard some clapping. Can you help fill in some of the blanks for me? And so um in thinking about these relationships how can we help to add in that color and context and um, give it the vibrancy much more so than the clapping that's coming out when we first try to communicate it? Yeah, that's a great example. Um, everything has been so helpful. I know that people can take some information from this and apply it in their working situation. So um, I just so enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans Beyond Resources. Visit ReverbPeople.com to find free resources, subscribe to our newsletter, and connect with our team. If you haven't already, subscribe to stay up to date on all of our upcoming episodes. We look forward to having you as part of our community.